If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Blog Talk Radio. Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged on as a guest, and I do see several guests in the chat room today, and you would like to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, in honor of Women's History Month, I am just so happy to have this show today where we will be discussing community research in the Louisiana, Florida parishes. Now, we're speaking of East Baton Rouge, East Feliciana, Livingston, St. Helena, St. Tammany, Tangipahoa, Washington, and West Feliciana parishes. And my special guests today are two outstanding researchers, Miss Antoinette Harrell and Stephanie Quiet Martin. Now, for those of you who know of Miss Antoinette Harrell, I just want to say that she brings over 20 years of genealogical experiences that has resulted in the Antoinette Harrell collections located at the Amistad Research Center in New Orleans and the Southeastern Louisiana State University. She has hosted her own blog talk radio show entitled Nurturing Our Roots and also a TV show by the same name. She is the founder and editor of the Tangibahoa African American News. Now, she is not just a genealogist. She is a leader and a community activist, and she just does not just talk about what should be done. She does it. 
her most recent advocacy work has resulted in assisting the black boys of the Doja Reform School to tell their story. Stephanie Martin Quiet is also a researcher over 20 years. And what began as a search for her own identity has grown into an ultimate goal of documenting as many African-Americans from the Florida parishes as possible for future researchers. She also published in the Louisiana Genealogical Register, and she has also submitted files for, from throughout Louisiana, although primarily she's researching in the Florida parishes of southwest Louisiana, where she maintains and constantly adds information to a 10,000-plus names database from those parishes. I also want to recognize other uh, African-American women who have done research in the Florida parishes. Karen Galloway, Jessica Brown, Dr. Eva Simeon Bayham, and for those of you who have listened to Blog Talk Radio, you will know that Dr. Simeon was on the show, and she discussed her most recent project, African Americans in Covington, and also Dr. Elaine Parker Adams, and she shared with us a book that she wrote on her great-grandfather, Reverend Peter W. Clark. So let me give just a warm, warm welcome to Antoinette Harrell and Stephanie Quiet Morton to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome. Thank you, Bernie, for having me as a guest on your show. It's always a pleasure. Hi, Stephanie. It is, it is Hi, also Antoinette. a pleasure. It is also Hi, a pleasure to have you. <laughs> Stephanie is saying hi, Antoinette. Hi, Antoinette. Thank you, Bernice, and um, welcome to everyone in the chat room. Right, and I just I, I failed to mention Karen Harper Royal, but Karen Harper Royal is the executive director of the GU Two Seventy Two Descendants Association. So we just have such wonderful outstanding women who are doing research in the Florida parishes. So Antoinette, let's begin with you, and just take us back to what motivated you to research your family history. Um, Bernice, it was my mother. I would have to say um, that my mother's the reason I started researching my family history. During our conversations, my mother found a way to always talk about her paternal and maternal side of the family. She did this for about two two years, and then one day I said to myself, okay, she's trying to tell you something. I just started taking notes, and everything happened from there. But I certainly would say that I owe it all to my mom because she – uh, she was the oral history keeper in the family, and she knew the dates, she knew the people, the places, but she just didn't know how to connect it with research at the, at the uh, local courthouses and other information. But she kept family obituaries and other family records as well as pictures. So it's my mom. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, tell us just where in the Florida parishes are your family members located? Okay, my family is connected to East Feliciana, St. Helena, and Tangela Ho. 
although one of my great uncles said that there was connection to Washington and Livingston County, I went to those parishes, but I didn't find anything that really connected me there. But he said that's where I should start, in Livingston and in Washington uh, parishes. But I didn't find anything, so I would say that most of my research came out of St. Helena, East Feliciana, and Tangerahoe Parish. Okay, so now take us through kind of your journey. So uh, so share with us some of the key documents you found on your family, and then what resources did you use in your community to gather additional information? Yeah, my I started off at the local library, the genealogy library in Amit, Louisiana, um, utilizing a census. And when I went to the bookshelves, I didn't see anything on my family or any other African-American families in the area, although I know that we made up the fabric of these societies. Uh, and from at that point, I went to St. Helena Courthouse, and that was the treasures, the hidden treasures inside the vault. I spent about 10 years inside the vault researching slave documents, looking at secession records, uh, marriage records, land deeds. And I would have to say that most of the research that I found on my uh, on my family came out of St. Helena. A little bit in, Saint Hel- in East Feliciana, but that was very little. And from East Feliciana, I also had to cross over into Amick County, Mississippi. But the, the hidden treasures for me was inside that vault. And inside that vault, I found so many records. I found cropping records, um, asylum records, um, court records, just so many treasures that I hope that after spending 10 years scanning the documents, I can find the time now to just create a database out of all the information I found in the vault because the vault is no longer accessible to the public. Oh, that's unfortunate because I remember the very first time you and I met each other, it was at the St. Helena Parish Courthouse. And as as you mentioned, I mean, it's a treasure trove of of documents in that vault, uh, of which I can recall finding my great-great-great-grandparents' marriage license. And that was back in, they were married in 1871. And so, as you said, this is one one of those treasure troves where the courthouse definitely could provide you with excellent information. Now, you mentioned crop links. Tell us more about that. Well, you know, the crop links was a time period where a lot of um, of our ancestors who would share croppers, they was barring against the crops and taking that chance sometime against the lien of the land and barring against the land. And so if they couldn't make those um, payments, they would lose their land. So when I started to talk with other farmers who borrowed money against their land, and you mentioned crop liens, you can see just the look in their faces, they realized a lot of people lost their land. But for my family, they was able to make installments um, that once a year installment, they made they paid that money back. And so they was borrowing money from the banks, sometimes financial, um, what do you call those little places in the community, finance companies. Uh-huh. And they would just put their land up, 
as collateral and they some lost their land. And so I found that my great-grandmother and my grandfather had put a lien against their crops, putting the land up um, as collateral, but they was able to make that payment. They came close to losing it because my grandmother, my great-grandmother became ill and my grandfather worked very hard to pay that loan off so they wouldn't lose those 20 acres that they borrowed against. Right. Now, one of the things, though, I, you know, uh, while you have been researching your own family history, you've also engaged your community. And so tell us a little bit more about engaging the community and community research. What does that look like and what have you done? Oh, yeah, that was a beautiful journey in itself because our ancestors and family members are part of a community, a part of a society. They go to church, they went to school, um, other social organizations, some of them belong to. And so I started to look at the neighbors who lived next to my grandmother and my grand, that my ancestors I was looking for, and I went and knocked on their door and asked if, you know, if they had any photographs or any funeral programs or anything like that. And when I created the blog, and post many different things on the Internet, people started contacting me. And they started contacting me about photographs, school records, uh, funeral programs, newspaper articles, letters. And I would go out and visit different places and different people, and they started to turn some of those collections over to me. Although I didn't know some of the people, but I didn't turn the collection away because I realized that if that collection stayed inside their home, it could be lost forever if the the, the younger people or whomever they were put in charge didn't know what to do with it. So in the process of that, I was able to collect a lot of information on O.W. Dillon uh, Industrial School in Kentwood, Louisiana, and some of the, the black schools that was segregated at the time, I started to get records from some of those schools, uh, some of the first churches. And so I'm meeting now with different councilmen, uh, council persons, as well as churches to talk with them about collecting and preserving their records that come to the church because the black churches, they don't really keep records. And sometimes, uh, you know, whenever we're looking for our family members, we always think about the church. But the first thing we have to do is really educate them on the importance of keeping their own archives, so to say, and the funeral homes as well. So I was very happy that just this past week, uh, the Greater St. James Church, I met with the pastor there. I met with uh, the historic preservation um, employee there to look at what we can do to to make a movement out of preserving the history in Tantra Hole, as well as East Feliciana, and making a connection over to Clinton. Oh, well, that's really interesting. So where is uh, St. James located again? It's in Hammond, Louisiana. Oh, in Hammond, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and and the church was uh, established in 1867. And so I'm I'm just, I can't wait to go through these file cabinets with the pastor to see what type of records they have. Uh, and the church is a, a great place because, you know, as they celebrate their 150th anniversary on tomorrow, 
those programs, those church programs are very important because it not only does it give the history, but it also gives the cornerstones of the people who was there to help to build the church, who was a part of the church community. And that was very important. So as we look to establish this, I, I want to establish a collection for St. James with Dr. Samuel Hyde at um, Southeastern Louisiana University. So as we come across these collections, I want these collections to stand on their own, and especially with the churches and some of the, the school records. Now, Bernie, sometimes people may say, well, why do you donate to Southeastern rather than Southern University? Well, a lot of people that live in Tanchville Parish, well, it's only 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away, and they can access those collections easier than they could if they went to uh, Southern University. And I really haven't been to Southern University to look at how they archive uh, the, the, the history of the area. Well, since you mentioned Southeastern uh, University, why don't you tell us about the Antoinette Harrell collection there? Well, I started that collection um Several years ago, and the first, and and what inspired me to donate that collection and all the records that was in my house, the photographs, everything, I had an aneurysm, and I knew then. I said, and in my prayers, I was praying, Father, you bring me through this. I need to do something with those files in my house. I immediately, immediately after I got myself up went into my office, got a couple of boxes, and sit down and decided what I was going to do. So I started to, to do, you know, to, to organize my collection, make an index of my own collection, because there's so much of stuff, you forget what you have your own self, you know, if it's not right there in front of you. So I just took me about three months, Bernie, to go through mm-hmm. everything I had, to make my index, and to donate it to, to to uh, Southeastern, and so the last collection that I just donated was 92 files that I donated. And so each time I try to donate at least once a year, and I do have my collection for the Amistad that I still have to go to New Orleans and donate that collection to the Amistad, and that's basically about people who lived in New Orleans. So I tried to put the collections where the people would have access to those collections. And it was the first collection to be donated at Southeastern coming out the black community. And Antoinette, I just want to say two things to you. First of all, you mentioned uh, the Greater St. James uh, Church and uh, New Orleans Wake Up mentioned that Charles Daggs was his great-great-grandfather's brother, and he just learned that he was a founder of the St. James AME Church. That's amazing because I I would hope that tomorrow, um, with the 150th anniversary, that they would have the history uh, of Mr. Charles Daggs, and, you know, and I would certainly look at on the cornerstone and see if I see uh, his name because I did take a picture of the cornerstone. And okay. once again, uh, that church was established in 1867. It was the first church to be built in Hammond, Louisiana. Wow. Black church. 
Wow. Well, I want to just take you back to the collection for a, a moment. How can individuals find out what's in your collection at Southeast University? Okay. Well, what I'll do, I'll put the index uh, on the website in the chat room, and people can just click on the link. And what I like about preserving at Southeastern, they list, they list the itemized index online. So like most collections, they'll tell you the scope of it, you know, what's in there. But they may not list the index directly, like box one, box two. And a person can say, oh, there's something for my family. It's in box three, folder number nine. And so it's a very easy in, index to follow, and it's very easy to access the collection once you get there because you see it online. And you can go, you know, it saves you some time because you would know exactly what you're looking for, what box and what folder. Okay. And so uh, uh, the the link is listed on the, the Facebook page and also in the blog talk radio about Tangible Hood Churches, St. James. This is in usgarchives.net. Uh, uh, New Orleans Wake Up has just listed that, and Antoinette will also post the link as to how you can find out what's in her collection. Now, Antoinette, tell me, how have you actually encouraged people to, to donate? I know you said you knocked on doors, but what what have you found people to do with collections I mean, or with information that they find on their family? Are they holding on to it or are they throwing it away? Both. They're holding on to it and sometimes it gets thrown away. It's especially if there's an elderly person who's involved, they're sick, they can't really uh, do anything like they used to, or if they have put them in a nursing home and they're cleaning the house out, most of the time out goes the files. I've heard that too many times when I go and interview people in a nursing home, especially secretaries of the churches. Uh, one lady said, they threw my they threw my sack away and they had all those church records. I just wish that someone would have saved my records. And so when I created the blog, and, and I, I'm happy to say that Preserving Our History uh, blog now has over 145,000 people that has read the blogs. And so when people read it, and especially when I speak about the subject of not throwing away the information. So now people are looking at not throwing away what to do with the collection. Oftentimes they will hold on to it so tight and they won't bring it out until something happens and someone else has to clean out their household. And if it's someone who do not understand the importance of keeping records, they will be found on the trash. So it's, right. once again, it's a movement in Tangeville Parish, in the, 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 the Florida parishes, to educate African-American people or anyone not to throw away the collection, go through it, do an assessment of it. You know, once we are doing an appraisal of the, the, the collection and look at what value it has, and almost all these collections have value to it because anything that has a date, 1930, 1940, 19, whatever, those are, that collection can be appraised and is very important to the history of this parish. Now, I often find a lot of photographs 
that people have in their homes and the person who can identify them, they can't, you know, they can't identify them. They forgot if their mind, mind is not sound or sight is not good or that person passed on. Well, I still encourage them not to throw the photographs away. We'll just take them, and what I would do is digitally put it online and put unknown, and sometimes people will identify who it is, and sometimes they may not. But nevertheless, the picture tells the story. Yes, the picture does tell the story. And so this is a call out to everyone. If you have pictures and you can't identify those pictures and you're near Antoinette Harrell, share those pictures with her. I know, Antoinette, I sent you uh, some pictures to, yes, that were did. found at an antique store, and they didn't have any information on the back of those pictures. They were sent to me. And I sent them to Antoinette, and she posted those pictures in hopes that someone would identify who those pictures belong to. So that's and part of so trying to preserve, trying to preserve your community and tell your community story. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come right back to talk to Stephanie Quiet Martin. Just a quick break. Hello, at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you just finished listening to Antoinette Harrell, a Florida Parish researcher, and now I'm happy to welcome Stephanie Quiet Martin to the show. Welcome, Stephanie. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Stephanie. So, Stephanie, How are you? okay, let's just kind of go back to your your beginnings with your research. Now, what motivated you to research your family history? Uh, the initial motivating factor was the death of my father and um, not knowing much about him. I was um, I was I had two small children at the time, and um, that helped to motivate me because I wanted them to know their history. Um, but after doing it for a while, 
and learning a lot more, it has basically turned into an addiction with the goal of finding um, my ancestors and other people's ancestors, especially before the 1870 census. Okay. So where in the Florida parishes are your family members located? Okay. So my, my father's line is from East Feliciana Parish, especially the Gurley, Jackson, and Clinton area. And my mother's line is from St. Helena Parish, uh, Dennis Mills, Pine Grove, um, and, and the Greensburg area. Even though everybody did migrate out into Tangipahoa, Livingston, and a lot into Baton Rouge and into New Orleans. Okay. And so uh, what kind of key documents have you found on your family and what resources did you use? Okay, well, um, the, I found some major documents on uh, for my great 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 grandfather. His name was William Self. I found the inventory of his estate, inventory of the state estate of his owner, who was also William Self. William Self was murdered by a slave in 1846 because he had beaten his girlfriend. So I found on that inventory, I found my great-great-great-grandfather, William Self, along with his brother, Jordan. And in the final distribution of the estate, I learned that William went to a son that lived in Washington Parish, Louisiana, and Jordan went with the son who moved to northeast Louisiana, Sabine Parish. Um, additionally, I found the inventory of the estate of John Britton Addison. John Britton Addison was from Orangeburg, South Carolina, and he owned my great-great-great-grandfather, Robert Addison. On the inventory of his estate, I found Robert, his brother, Prince Addison, and their mother, Sarah. Sarah. They all remained in St. Helena Parish, and in Amy County, Mississippi. Now, those records I found through or at the St. Helena Parish Courthouse, um, probably right before they shut it off to the public. So the records are there. Um, I do know that they put a lot of, they've scanned a lot of them, and there are books on them, but there's nothing like seeing the original records and looking at it when it's in your hand. So Right. Finally, and I remember yeah, when you saw when you first found the inventory for William Self. Right, I stopped breathing. Yeah, it took my breath away. It's such an emotional thing and um you know, it's it's one thing to hear the story, it's another thing to see it and see it written. So it's a big difference there. So my final big 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 is I got the copy of the United States Civil War's widow's pension application for a Melinda Quiet. Melinda was the wife of Robert Quiet. And in her application, she stated that Robert Quiet was born in Farquhar County, Virginia. I always knew that my great-great-great-grandfather was from Virginia. 
I learned that he was sold as a child to Robert Morrison of Assumption Parish, Louisiana. I learned that he and Melinda met there and that Melinda had given birth to over 10 children. She said in the application that all the children either died at birth or shortly thereafter. Um, I believe there's something different there, but I have not been able to prove it. I did find death records for two children who were born after the Civil War. Um, I also have Robert's death certificate from 1867. The application gave described the different jobs that they did on the plantation. I learned Melinda's parents' name and where she was born, and I learned a lot about the different military camps in South Louisiana that she would visit when she went to see Robert. The application was denied, um, and it was denied because she said that they said that there was no proof that they were married, but the provost's office in St. Mary's Parish did have a record of their marriage. Okay. And that and one of the things you have just pointed out and, and I'll say more about that later, is the value of finding a United States colored troop application, invalid pension or widow's pension record. You talk about a treasure trove of information you can definitely find a lot of information. I mean, you just mentioned Virginia and some of your documentations that you have found and also the Carolinas. So many of the people that are listening while you're hearing us talk about the Florida parishes, keep in mind that you're going to start seeing, if if you're testing with your DNA or what have you, individuals from the Carolinas, individuals from Virginia, Alabama, Mississippi, and some kind of way they're going to end up connecting with you and the Florida parishes. So exactly. it's, it's good that you have that documentation, Stephanie. Yeah, uh, and that, you know, what, what I found is that I got some additional information on the quiets out of Virginia, and they came from the exact county that Robert said that where Robert was born. So I know the information is correct. And, it, and that is true, and it's valid. Well, now there's a question for you, and they'd like you to elaborate more on the death certificate of 1867. What can you death, say about that? Yes, you mentioned it, that you found is, the death certificate. Right. It is the death certificate for Robert. It is not maintained by the state of Louisiana. It is maintained by the it's part of the New Orleans collection. And I found his on FamilySearch.org. Okay, New Orleans maintained their records and are the holder of their own records. So the records are there. I have Melinda's and I have Robert's and I have two of the, two of the children that were born to that marriage that I found through that collection. And I would guess the best place to go would be to the New Orleans Public Library on Loyola because the the whole collection is not online, but they have some great librarians there, and they can help if you're looking for a specific um, certificate. 
Right. Not only you just mentioned the New Orleans Public Library, you can also find many of the uh, records that have been microfilmed by by the Mormons. And they, exactly. those microfilms, those records are in New Orleans, but they're also at several different repositories, libraries, and family history centers. So although exactly. you're doing uh, the Florida Parish's research, no matter where you are around the United States, head over to some of your family history centers or go to familysearch.org which may direct you to those records exactly I um I believe I know for a fact that they have at New Orleans they have marriage records from Tangipahoa from St. Helena and they have um, wills and all court records on microfilm from St. Helena Parish. So you don't have access to the records at the St. Helena Parish Courthouse anymore, but you can see them on microfilm at the New Orleans Public Library. Right. So tell us, I know that you're identifying some of the documents that you found, but what have you done as far as identifying other records of other people. You have this huge database. Tell us about this database and how did you come about putting together a database? Um, I The database is based um, a lot on obituaries. I moved to Colorado in 1999 and even though they have a great library, they Denver did not offer me any resources on Louisiana. So because I didn't adjust to the cold weather very well, I would spend hours at a time on the Internet searching for obituaries of people from the Florida parishes. And I'd put them all in a database and did some some, some more research on them, but it, it just grew. Um, and what it taught me was it, I now know names pretty well from out there. Mm-hmm. I can I can look at a DNA match, and it doesn't have to be an Addison or Self or Banks or Jackson. I know that the Bindings are I'm related to the Bindings. I'm related to the Hamptons, and that's because I did all that work a long time ago. So I'm very very familiar with the name with the surnames of the different families out there. Well, give us an idea of some of those surnames. Okay, let's see. So I'm Addison Banks, Jackson Self. There's the Singletons, there's the Amakers, there's the Vinings, there's the Hunters, there is the Glaspies, the Glaspers, and the Gillespies. Um, I said the Hunters. Let's see what else. I have all my little surnames listed here, so because I share that with a lot of with a, um, a lot of different people. Um, let's see what else. I have uh, very much a Barnado very much the Kendricks, the Wickers, the Johnstons, the Watsons, Donalds, George, Claibornes, the Hookfins, the Fosters, the Gordons, the Burtons, Coleman, Preston, Hughes, Sterling, Green, Terrell, Lance, Ard, Tasker, who was the first black mayor of Hammond, um, Cryer, and Womack. Okay, so that's that's a lot of names there. That's a lot of names, but that I got those names by doing by doing the research by 
just trolling those um trolling those obituaries over and over and over again. And and that's just really helpful. Now we have comments in here, and I want to tell you something, Stephanie. Uh, one of the chatters is saying that he had a quiet who was a neighbor in 1929, and well, he I, believes yes. Yeah, <laughs> and he I thinks am, that's Uncle George. Yes, yeah, yes, and uh, uh, he must be yeah. Go and ahead. I'm seeing I'm seeing that Antoinette is connecting with many of the names that you've you've mentioned, the gardens, the bindings, yeah. the cells. So one of the things when we start talking about the Florida parishes, we start finding that there are connections here and yeah. and lots of connections uh throughout. So do you have any other information you want to share with us before we go back to Antoinette? Well, um, I would just like to say that I think that um, it's my goal is to uh, is to establish to to track my ancestors there every step of the way. You know their accomplishments, the hard times they faced, the the and their achievements. Um, I just think it's really important that we do that. I think it is important that we document our own. Um, our own history and don't leave that up to somebody else. Thank you very much. I think a lot of people would agree that it is definitely important. Okay, I'm going to bring Antoinette Harrell back on for a few minutes because she's going to interview me. I'm also a Florida Parish researcher. Antoinette, you're live. Hi, okay, Bernice. It's it's great to have you in this hot seat right now to talk about your research. And Stephanie, that was so informative. I know somewhere along the line, Stephanie, you and I are related. Okay, Stephanie's line is muted right now. <laughs> okay, okay, Bernice. Uh, because you're connected to the Florida parishes as well, and that's how I met you. What research have you done in Livingston, and what did you find? Well, first of all, let me just tell you the reason I started doing this research in the first place is because I was very fortunate to have a grandmother to live to be almost 106 years old. And she shared with me information that I I just felt I needed to verify. She stated to me that her her grandfather was named Peter Clark and that he owned a lot of land. She also stated that she was named after her grandmother, Rebecca Youngblood. So with two pieces of information, owning a lot of land, she gave me her grandfather's name, which was Peter Clark, and she also gave me a location, Marpas, Louisiana. I decided it was time for me to start verifying, verifying all of the information that she shared. So my two places of research have been in St. Helena Parish and Livingston Parish specifically. So what have I found? I discovered that my ancestor acquired land under an act called the Homestead Act of 1862, which was signed by Abraham Lincoln. But what's interesting is that I discovered that he was not the only African-American in St. Helena and Livingston Parish to own land. I found land owned by Moses Broomfield. 
in St. Helena Parish, and he acquired his land in 1880, way before Peter Clark even got his land. And so I pulled the records at the National Archives just to read up on Moses Broomfield. Another person that acquired this land was Alfred Robertson, Henry Tinkscale, um, Charlie Baptiste, Germacita Vidal. I mean, if you could imagine looking for land and then you start discovering that all of these people were Afri of African descent and they were acquiring this land in Livingston Parish, Louisiana, and, and Tangible Hoare. So the one thing I want to say to anybody that's listening right now, if you have heard a story about your ancestor owning land, look to see if they were homesteaders. And I'm not talking about two acres of land. I'm talking about a 100 and more acres of land. If that is the case, then the record regarding the whole acquisition process would be at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Now, with those records would come a description of the land, also an actual original newspaper clipping that was posted with the names of all of the witnesses. So the resources are just there. So that's kind of one of my... Uh, areas that I talk about a lot and I document, but I feel it's very important for individuals to search out the land and find out if their ancestors were homesteaders. Another resource that I found extremely valuable and even more valuable now because it's indexed, and that's the Freedman Bureau records. Now, I don't know how many of you in the Florida parishes have gone to discover the freedmen to search for your ancestors to see if they have labor contracts, marriage licenses, have they filed any complaints. Uh, they have even just all kinds of information on the Freedmen Bureau record, and that is where I found my ancestor, Peter Clark. He was located. 1868 Freedman Bureau record on the Cox Plantation in Livingston Parish. Now, let me just tell you, folks, I didn't just find the Cox Plantation. I found the Walmart Plantation. I found a number of plantations with names like Holiday as laborers, uh, uh, Selfs as laborers. Martins as laborers, you name it, I found these people, the Wheats, even Antoinette Harrell's folks I found uh, uh, on the Freedman Bureau record. And I also found the Freedman Bank records. So you have so many records that you can search in the Florida parishes and actually find your ancestors. And so, Antoine, I know I'm going to talk and on, but I just, I'm just so excited when I, when I look yeah. at some of the resources available in Livingston and St. Helena Parish. And you're right, the courthouse. When I first went to the St. Helena Parish courthouse, what did I find? An 1871 marriage license for my great-great-great-grandfather, Thomas Youngblood. And there I found his wife's name, Minerva. 
And so right there, I had information on my family. But let me tell you something. One of the things I discovered is that the family members paid attention to court, how to go to court. And so going to Livingston Parish Courthouse, I found secession papers in 1882 of Thomas Youngblood when he died. This is something, this is a resource for us. Go to the courthouses. Don't be afraid of the courthouses because that's where you will find additional information about your family. Not to mention the newspapers. Yes, Chronicle in America, Genealogy Bank, all of these resources are available. And I just, on Chronicle in America, I just typed in my ancestor's name and a newspaper article popped up. And so we, we just have so many opportunities to do research in the Florida parishes. And just as Antoinette has started the Antoinette Harrell Collection at Southeastern University, I've made the same decision to start putting the documents that I have discovered. I've decided to, to start a collection because I want other people to know that research and resources are available to help people. I mean, that's what it's all about. Wouldn't you say that, Antoinette? Yeah, I I will certainly say that. I have one question for you. I noticed that when you decided to donate your collection, your collection, my collection is open to the public, and there's a difference there. And and we and I'm glad you mentioned that because some people would go there expecting to see your collection but you have a little bit more provisions on your collection. Could you talk about your decision to your decision why you made that decision to make it more or less a private collection? Right. Right now I am still gathering information plus I'm writing a book. And so as soon as I complete the the book, everything is going to be open. But I wanted okay. I put a restriction on it right now until I complete that information. Okay, and so when you say the restriction, uh, tell the listeners what that means for your collection at this time. It only means that you have to ask Dr. Samuel Height for permission and, and tell him why mm-hmm. you want to look at the records, that's all. I mean, you can see right. them, but you do have to ask that question. Thank you, thank you. You, you definitely have uh, to Bernice, ask that question. Mm-hmm. What have you done to engage the community in community genealogy? The, the best thing that I have found that I can do is to have a, a forum like this, to have a blog talk radio show where I get people to talk about what they're doing and what they're sharing. And I also go out and give talks. I've been on your television show. Uh, I've been on your radio show. I've spoken in New Orleans because th- that's the way I can help people understand it's important to engage them. And, you know, I I look at today as an opportunity for us to uh, stimulate those that are doing research in the Florida parishes to come forth, to come forth with sharing what they know and what they have. I think the more people that we can get to tell that story, the more we can see ourselves in some of the history books that heretofore we have not been in those history books. Even uh, a, a, a group that I'm a part of, which is the Livingston Parish Historical Society, you don't have a large uh, uh, chapter about the African-American presence 
in uh, Livingston Parish, Louisiana. I think it's important for us to do something about that. And therefore, I have written two articles for the Livingston Parish Historical Society, one of which was about uh, um, a man who, his name was Brister Harrison. And Brister Harrison was a slave of uh, uh, Green Davison. And so I tracked him. I tracked him from uh, being on a, a labor contract to being a part of the United States Colored Troops, to unfortunately, he was he was killed. He was murdered and exercising his rights to vote in the 1876 election. But I want you to understand that that's kind of how this information has to be communicated. We have to write the stories, tell the stories, become a part of the various historical societies. I also uh, wrote a story about Peter Clark and uh, how he acquired his land in Livingston Parish. This is this is my way. Also, I'm a part of the La Comitee, uh, and Louisiana Historical Group under Judy Riffle, and I sponsor the St. Helena Parish page. And this is a document that describes all of the various resources available to people who are doing St. Helena Parish research. So that is my kind of way of, of giving to the community and also encouraging people to conduct their own research and share their stories. Well, I think you answered my next questions, and thank you for all that you have done to preserve the history and to encourage other people to preserve their history in, in the uh, East Florida parishes. I want to go back to the vote, if we could, for a minute. Um, Bernice, did you realize there was a vote in St. Helena? That, when you called the, the courthouse, had they told you anything about the vote? The vote? No. I had no idea that a vote existed with the information in St. Helena Parish until I visited, I, I met with you. And that was my very first time. And that had to be, what, 2006? That was a long time ago. But that was my very first time going into the vault and seeing, number one, how fragile the records were. They were very fragile. Remember, we, we even saw little termite mounds in there, Antoinette. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. but the, the point is, yes, uh, I see Angela saying a vault. Yes, Angela, a vault. The way it was back in the old days, and the records were in these still, uh, uh, what, containers, and you would, you know, they had numbers on the front. Very antique, <laughs> uh, but a wealth of, just a wealth of information. Because, you know, going inside that vault, Bernice, that was very, very important to just to know that there was a vote, because if no one knows, they're not going to tell you. There was one book, one little index book, that was very important to looking at the succession records, and they still have not found that book to this very day. But because I scanned the book, I made copies, I'm going to donate a copy back to them, because that was the only way we can look at the, the succession records of the people who opened up a secession, how many slaves they owned. Um, and in some of the secession records, in that little book, they even mention the names. 
So you found something else in that vault that you pointed out to me that that particular day. Yes, was I, it a I, church record or something? Right, I found a church record. I found a donation from. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have the record in front of me. But yes, there was a church record, and you know, Antoinette, I went there really to study the white young bloods because I'm I'm a young blood. And so I wanted to know as much as I could about Daniel Youngblood and Joshua Youngblood, and I wanted to know about William Tillery. I mean, these are names that were showing up on my documents. And so I wanted to know, well, who were those people? And one of the things about these Youngbloods, I can tell you, I, I have tracked, and I'll, I also end up, from a DNA perspective, match Youngbloods in Arkansas. I match young bloods in Oklahoma. I match young bloods in South Carolina. And not only in the Florida parishes, but also in DeSoto Parish. So the young bloods are all up and down and all around. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the, the, the the one thing to understand is that the records of there's a paper trail that's going on that we need to understand. And and Antoinette, you even brought to my attention, I think some young bloods wanted to pass through Indian territory. And yeah, they were I requesting permission. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was and there's a book at the library where they was you know trying to get a pass to come through the Indian Creek nations. And so that was very important too because it was another, and because it would give the person's name who was requesting the pass, and it didn't name the ancestors. It just said ten slaves or whomever they was coming through, uh, how many people, their families, and the slaves that was coming with them. But you also found a record uh, about a church. Can you tell us about that record that you was looking at in your hand, and I think it was of an AME church? It was an AME in church. A- Yes, it was the AME church, and, and Antoinette, I'm sorry, I cannot even remember what the church was. I do know that John B. Easterly gave money for uh, AME church in, in Livingston Parish, and I, and I found that document. And this is the same person when I looked at my ancestor on the, uh, the Freedman Bureau record, the name John B. Easterly was also on that record. But you know, Antoinette, mm-hmm. one of the things I did not mention, and and I and I need to say just something about this, is the United States Color Troops. I know that Stephanie mentioned her ancestor and the, the United States Color Troops, but let's look at it this way: you had several, several black soldiers from the Florida parishes in the United States Color Troops. And the reason I have been able to find some of those individuals, because they were also on records of my family members. Marshall Douglas, who was one of them. He was uh, injured in the battle in Port Hudson. And his uh, labor, excuse me, not his labor contract, but his pension file clearly described exactly what happened to him in Port Hudson. Uh, Also, uh, Germacino Vidal. Uh, Benjamin Frazier. I mean, these are people that are right out of the Florida parishes that served in the United States Color Troops. And we could look at Company D, mm-hmm. 86th Regiment, Company D, 4th Regiment. And each of those individuals, because they applied for pension records, I could read the records and see French Settlement, 
Marpas, Louisiana, listed on their record. So I know they're out of the Florida parishes. And so individuals, if you're out there and you're wondering about your ancestors, start looking for them in the United States Colored Troops. Somebody, if you heard the story, just like Antoinette, you said you started with oral history. You know, sometimes you have to just follow that oral history all the way through just to verify that this is exactly what's going on. What do you have to say about that, uh, Stephanie? I'm here. Yes, Can you what do you have question? to say? Yes, my, question, my statement was about following that oral history because you, you hear things and people are saying things about what family members did, where they went to church, what schools they attended. And so we have to follow that up. Well, I, be, I believe that we do. I know that, especially on my mother's, I didn't act, interact with my father's side a lot, but especially on my mother's side, um, I was the child who was always hiding and listening to the grown folks talk because you know we were not allowed to be around them. But I know that my great my grandmother worked at West Livingston High School, and she was famous for her biscuits. I know that my family helped to found um, Jackson Chapel AME Church in Pine Grove. I knew about Begall, and I knew about Dennis Mills, and um, my mother told me about the one-room school that she went to out there. So oral history is very important. I, I, think, I love talking to the, to the ancestors and to the seniors in the family because Sometimes it's just one little bit of information that they can tell you that will bring down a brick wall that you have in your research. That is so right. Now, you know, there's a discussion going on about the vault and access to information in the vault. And Antoinette, what are you saying about the vault? When you when you come across a vault, you need to be very careful how you expose the vault. Yep. Most of the time, the people who use the vote is people who are searching land records, attorneys, um, people of that nature. When the clerks allow us inside the vote, we need to be very quiet with the work that we do, not raise too much of a, uh, how would I say that, draw too much attention to ourselves. I had been inside that vote for 10 years. Because I know what's in there and because I spend a lot of time, I can ask for certain things. But if you don't know what's in there, they're not going to go and pull it for you because sometimes they don't even know what's in there. If anyone ever come across this vault, and we're talking about this vault, Bernice, has to be uh, has to go back to what, the 1800s, you would say? Because I think I found oh, records yes. dating yes. back to the early 1800s. So we may be talking about... 1790, and the good thing about these records, they are all in English. So if I, I just want to put it out there for someone. If you go in the vault, if you find a vault, make no noise about it. Be very, very quiet about what yep. you're doing. Take photographs of the vault inside the vault. Make sure that if you spend some time documenting what's in there so that if you have to go back there, or if someone knows what's in there, you can guide them to it. Because some of the employees, 
they have not a clue what's inside the vaults. Why? Because when those files was put inside those little boxes in 1821, some of them haven't been opened since 1821. And you can see it, Bernice, because the dust is so thick. Yep. Um, yes. it's, so, it's so thick. And and when you do that, you got to remember now, uh, every clerk is not the same. I had access to that vault for 10 years under another um, clerk. But the new clerk, they was beginning to wonder if records was being stolen, what was going on, and it was their duty to protect those records. So if anyone run across, come across a vault, be very discreet with it. Do what you need to do. Get your work done. If you're writing a book, whatever it is that you want to do, but just make sure that you don't lock the doors where no one else can go inside the vault. I think that's excellent advice because I remember the last time we were there, uh, we could not take any photos. Uh, it, it, yeah. it was it was different. It felt different than it was Antoinette when you and I were there over 10 years mm-hmm. ago. And so mm-hmm. things have changed, even in Livingston Parish, because now there is a new courthouse. We used to be able to go and sit at a computer and order some of the records that we uh, we wanted. And now you have to go online. You have to go into a, a subscription service, basically, and go online. But not all of those records are as accessible as they were at one time. So you have to pay no, attention. Not. Yeah, you yeah. have to. You have to. And you can't be the one that wanna just break the news about the vault and you know, and just draw too much attention because remember now, when you lock the vault down, you're locking down a lot of information. Not only for your family, your research, but for many other families. So I just wanna say that to anybody that that uh is Find a vault because I'm more than sure there's other vaults, but this was the second one that I came across and I was able to access. But because I live in this parish, I'm, I'm you know, I'm close to St. Helena. And so there was a solemn record that I, I spent some time documenting a lot of our ancestors who was committed to the asylums, to Jackson Hospital, Mental Hospital. Uh, there's other records that I have uh, access to, and, and I remember I my cousin, and I, I thank God for him, he gave me $500 and said, look, just go copy what you need to copy out the courthouse. So I do have the paperwork. And, those, and, and that's information that's very important, especially when you look at those asylum records. You know, it's, it's just, it, it was just, just files on top of files. The crop lien records, not many places will you go and find crop lien records, but this courthouse has them. So when we, so my advice to anyone, please be careful when you do find a fault. Right. Now, there's one other uh, record that I'd like to just draw to everyone's attention, and it's called the Vote for Electors in Louisiana. And you could actually find the the document that describes what happened in 1867, excuse me, 1876, 
and this was the election of the president and what happened to the people in Livingston Parish? What happened to the people in Louisiana who attempted to exercise their rights to vote? You have full testimonies naming individuals, naming the incident. So please pay attention to what happened in, in 1876, and you can find this information online. So I'm going to really kind of close out this show. If anyone would like to call in, please call in. You may have tapped into some resources that we have not tapped into. I know we are just having a ball just talking about our research in the Florida parishes because that is what we do. But if anyone would like to call in, feel please feel free to call in to ask a question or make a comment. And while we're waiting, Antoinette, do you have any closing words? No, no, I just want to thank you for having me on as a guest. And as always, it's good to hear information from Stephanie, who's a, a wealth of information. And once again, thank you for having me as a guest. Okay. And Stephanie, you have any closing words? Just thank you for this opportunity. Um, I encourage everyone to do their own family history, um, get as many people tested with the DNA because it's helping to bring families that have been apart since before slavery or during slavery. It's bringing them together again. So I, I encourage everyone to take a test if possible. Okay, everyone, and I just want to just thank you, you ladies, again. You are an inspiration. You certainly inspire me every day when I look at some of my documents and I say, you know, I'm so grateful that I had Antoinette Harrell, and I'm so grateful that I had Stephanie uh, Quiet Martin there because they are the people that, that encourage me. Uh, they talk to me and they share with me some of the resources and I in turn do the same. So a special thanks to Antoinette Harrell and Stephanie Quiet Martin. And everyone, I want to just say, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. There are also several Facebook pages that you will want to uh, pay attention to, the East Feliciana uh, page, the East Baton Rouge page, the Florida Parishes page. Please sign up for these pages because people are sharing, even the Greater Youngblood page. So thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexandra Bennett. Have a great day. Goodbye.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 